0: Brought to you by State Farm.
1: Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Welcome to Haunted Road, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim & Mild from Aaron Mankey. Listener discretion is advised.
0: What role does music play in influencing paranormal activity? Not just music, but a vivacious social scene or bar. I've experimented with this, actually, Years ago, while investigating a bar, we were told that after hours, particularly on nights where live music had been played in the venue, were always the most active times, ghost-wise. We experimented with that. We invited a live band to play during the investigation. And during their set, we ran all sorts of equipment and kept tabs on our surroundings. Sure enough, we captured anomalies and activity. Perhaps most telling, once the band had packed up and left, and we returned to the room to investigate, the jukebox turned on by itself, and the credit card machines started spitting out blank receipt paper for no reason. Imagine working under those circumstances every night. (laughs) Needless to say, my interest in this phenomenon was piqued, and there's perhaps no better place to explore such a theory than Bobby Mackey's music world. I'm Amy Bruni, and this is Haunted Road. Wilder, Kentucky sits just across the Ohio River from Cincinnati. The small town of about 3,000 people has only been formally incorporated for about 90 years. Before that, it was part of a nearby town called Newport, In the 18th century, Newport was known for its crime, and in particular, for its ties to organized crime. This was a region that upstanding citizens avoided because it promised trouble. These days, if motorists pull off of the four-lane licking road in Wilder, they'll see what looks like an abandoned shack. It has a false brick front, while the other three walls are white siding. Train tracks cut behind it, with the licking river behind them. The structure is dark, windowless, and doesn't even have a paved parking lot. Visitors can park in the patch of white gravel off to the side. But in spite of its ominous appearance, this business, called Bobby Mackey's Music World, is still in operation, if you're brave enough to enter. The interior decor hints at its colorful past. A dive bar with pool tables and a mechanical bowl operates alongside a gift shop. The black floor features a faded logo for the Latin Quarter, a former nightclub that used to operate in this building. Dim lights barely illuminate the red and black ceiling or the sign behind the small stage that reads America's Honky Tonk. The basement is even more eerie. Visitors have to walk over plywood walkways that stretch across crumbling, broken concrete flooring. The walls are wooden planks dotted with bullet holes. In a back corner behind wooden barriers, an 18-inch tall stone circular structure rises from the floor. This is an old well, but it's anyone's guess exactly how old it is. Some rumors suggest it dates to at least 1897, when it offered water to the community. Others suggest it's from the mid-19th century. Rumors say the building used to be a slaughterhouse, and the cistern collected blood from butchered animals. And some less colorful speculation, like that of Dan Smith writing for Haunted America, says the well was part of a tunnel system that captured and directed water from the nearby Licking River. Asher Albine of The Bitter Southerner wrote that there are many rumors that Satanists once used the well in some kind of ritual sacrifice. Albine also noted that the gossip is almost certainly untrue. But that hasn't stopped even wilder stories from flying, including one claim that the well is an opening into hell. And the signs and advertisements throughout Bobby Mackey's music world demonstrate that the current owners have embraced their haunted reputation. Before anyone can even set foot inside, they'll spot an outdoor sign that says Bobby Mackey's. Another right underneath it announces that visitors can book two-hour ghost tours. And inside, postings feature language like, This establishment is reported to be haunted. Management is not responsible and cannot be held liable for any actions of any ghost spirits on these premises. For all the bar's ghostly marketing, the region's eerie reputation predates Bobby Mackey's by about a century. In January 1896, a 23 year old woman named Pearl Bryan arrived in Newport, Kentucky. Few of her friends or family members knew the real reason she left her home in Greencastle, Indiana. She told them she was visiting a friend, but in reality, she was about five months pregnant. It's believed she was seeking an illegal abortion, or as suggested in Eric Bernsey's article with the Banner Graphic, she was tracking down the birth father to demand he marry her. Whatever her plan, it didn't work out. Soon after her arrival on February 1st, Pearl was found dead in an orchard. The ground around her corpse was soaked in blood, and her head was missing. Given the sheer amount of blood, coroners speculated that she was still living when her murderer decapitated her. Understandably, any gruesome story like this will draw attention, and Pearl Bryan's murder was splashed across newspapers. The police worked quickly, and their investigation eventually led them to two men, Scott Jackson and his roommate, Alonzo Walling. Scott was believed to be Pearl's lover, and he was enrolled in a dental school in nearby Cincinnati. It would have been relatively easy for him to travel across the river to kill Pearl and dump her body. When police questioned Scott, he claimed he was helping Pearl secure an abortion as a favor for a friend, the baby's actual father. As Robert Wilhelm reported on the Murder by Gaslight webpage, The Mysteries of Pearl Bryan, Scott claimed his roommate, Alonzo, was supposed to help get Pearl to and from the abortion appointment. Scott claimed Alonzo killed Pearl when the procedure went wrong. Alonzo, in turn, suggested Scott always meant to murder Pearl rather than get her medical treatment. Each suspect protested his innocence while incriminating the other. But the hard evidence didn't look good for either accused man. Both Alonzo and Scott were seen with Pearl the night of her murder, and according to one horse cab driver, men fitting their descriptions escorted a clearly unwell woman across the river from Ohio to Kentucky. A bartender also assured the police he saw Scott drug Pearl's drink that evening. Albert Vinton Stegman Jr. reported a particularly disturbing detail on a webpage titled Pearl Bryan Murder. He writes that during the night, Scott and Alonzo went into a tavern carrying a red leather valise that had once belonged to Pearl. They asked the bartender to hold on to the item for them, and when he picked it up, he was surprised at how heavy it was. He speculated that the bag held a bowling ball, But later, when police found the valise stained with blood, they suspected it actually held Pearl's head. It's not clear what became of her head after that, as it was never recovered. Some speculate the killer tossed it into the Ohio River or burned it in a furnace at the dental school, but another popular theory is that he threw it down a well, the same well that now sits in Bobby Mackey's Music World's basement. Either way, The witness's testimony was enough for the courts to sentence both men to death. They were hanged together on March 20, 1897. Even on the gallows, each man protested the execution as a miscarriage of justice. Indianapolis's The Sunday Journal reports that just before he was killed, Alonzo Walling declared, "'You are about to take the life of an innocent man. I call upon God to be my witness.'" There are also rumors, which I have not been able to verify, that one or both men warned that if they were unjustly executed, they'd remain in the town as ghosts, haunting their killers. Sure enough, after the hanging, a series of strange and inexplicable disasters struck the area. In 1876, a distillery was built on the land where Bobby Mackey's Music World stands now. Thirty years after it opened its doors, it caught fire. Meanwhile, a bridge over the Licking River was constructed nearby. Before the builders could finish their work, it collapsed, taking 31 lives. The string of bad luck persisted throughout the 20th century. Numerous pubs and clubs opened and closed on the site. These decades were marked by barroom brawls that turned deadly, brutal mafia hits, and fatal shootouts. I could go on and on about the various murders and suicides that struck the patrons and owners of these businesses, but in the interest of time, let's move ahead to April 1978. That is when Linda and the eponymous Bobby Mackey bought the bar. Bobby was a musician and may have wanted to open a venue for country performers, but it didn't take long for disaster to strike yet again. Bobby and Linda were mid-renovation when a fire broke out at Music World. Numerous stories in the Cincinnati Enquirer emphasized that there was no clear cause for the blaze. The fire pushed back Music World's opening day several months to October 27, 1978. After that, the bar proved to be such a success, Bobby tried opening another establishment just next door. But the land he purchased in 1992 suddenly ripped apart as a 200-foot chasm appeared out of nowhere. For context, that's the length of a 20-story building, and it was determined that Bobby couldn't possibly build there. Five more years passed, and another fire struck the original bar. This time, the cause was clear. A customer set the structure alight after a confrontation with a waitress about bringing in outside beer. Luckily, no one was hurt in the blaze, but it did wreak thousands of dollars in damages. In spite of all these omens, Bobby Mackey didn't cement its reputation as a haunted location until the early 90s. Asher Elbin wrote about how ghost stories become a fundamental part of the bar's identity on his page, Honky Tonk Haunts, on the Bitter Southerner website. He says Bobby knew his employee Carl Lawson often heard footsteps and got the eerie feeling he was being watched even when he was alone. He was so unnerved by these incidents he slept with a gun in his bed and propped his door closed. Bobby had previously warned Carl not to mention the eerie supernatural encounters as he found them disturbing. But one night, Bobby struck up a conversation about them with Carl and a regular customer and horror writer named Doug Hensley. Doug grew increasingly fascinated and begged the two men to tell him everything about the hauntings at Bobby Mackey's. Finally, they relented, and Doug took careful notes on each story they told him. In 1991, He published their accounts in a book titled Terror at Music World. The bestseller instantly rocketed Doug, Carl, Bobby, and the bar to fame. The book inspired countless new reports about spectral encounters at Music World. Carl claims he performed an exorcism in the kitchen, which only brought temporary relief from paranormal incidents. Other guests reported fireballs, unnatural swarms of yellow jackets and bats, and as Douglas Hensley wrote in Hell's Gate's Terror at Bobby Mackey's Music World, the ceilings are said to bleed onto the walls. These accounts even created legal trouble for Bobby. In 1993, one of his customers sued him on the grounds that a ghost had attacked him in the bathroom. The bar's lawyer didn't take the claim seriously. His motion to dismiss was written in rhyming couplets. The final line declared, The plaintiff can always pursue his tort upon his death in a higher court. A judge dismissed the lawsuit before it could go to trial. Now, we can debate how many of these reports are true and how much of it is savvy marketing. But even if Bobby and Carl exaggerated some of the bar's history, there are numerous verified sightings within its walls. Reports suggest the jukebox often plays the anniversary song, even when it's unplugged and off. Strangest of all, the anniversary song was never programmed into it as a selection. And some unseen presence has a tendency to toss bottles across the room and knock furniture over. Some visitors have spotted a specter they believe is a former owner named Buck Brady. He briefly operated the bar, then called the Primrose Country Club and later the Latin Quarter, until the Mafia wrested control from him. It's said he cursed the establishment before later taking his own life. Now, a figure that looks exactly like his old photographs remains at Music World. The Cincinnati Post also features descriptions of a figure that appears to be half man and half goat stalking the premises. Of course, many narratives feature the three doomed souls who kicked off the many disasters in Newport and the surrounding area, Pearl Bryan and the two men who were convicted of killing her. Many visitors have seen her headless ghost wandering through Music World, both the bar itself and the basement a psychic also claims to have made contact with her spirit. It's possible that Bobby Mackey's wife, Janet, had an ominous encounter with Pearl when she was reportedly five months pregnant. As she was on the stairs, unseen hands pushed her. It said the fall may have made her give birth prematurely. Janet never identified the spirit, but it's hard to ignore the parallels between the two women who were both at the same stage of their pregnancy. Janet suffered through other aggressive incidents, too. Elbine reports that Janet complained of hostile energies at Music World, and she said a spirit pushed her against a sink that seemed to be filling with blood. All these encounters were enough that Janet eventually refused to go inside of Music World. She never reversed her stance up until her 2009 death. Guests have also interacted with Scott Jackson and Alonzo Walling, who were executed for Pearl's murder. Employee Carl Lawson claims that he has seen the image of a scaffold with bodies hanging from it in the basement. In the Richmond Register, Taylor Six writes of an apparition with a handlebar mustache who appears in the men's bathroom. The spirit repeats, die game, die game, which is Latin for dying well. Alonzo's girlfriend wrote those exact words to him before he was executed. These days, accounts of the hauntings at Bobby Mackey's Music World feature a blend of rumor, exaggeration, and frightening truth. It's undeniable that Bobby Mackey and the other staff are benefiting from the bar's haunted reputation. It brings free publicity and tourists. But this makes it tricky to cut through the various accounts and learn which are true and which are fiction to draw in the curious and thrill-seekers. Up next, we will talk to the delightful Laura Rowland. She and her team actually head up the tours and investigation at Bobby Mackey's Music World. She's the perfect person to talk to, to sift through lore and reality. She's coming up after the break. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your
1: comeback with Purdue Global.
0: All right. So I am now joined by Laura Roland, who is with Gatekeeper Paranormal. And they are the team that kind of oversees, uh, the tours and the paranormal investigations at Bobby Mackey's. And she's been there for quite some time. Uh, and she's got some really great stories. So thanks for joining, Laura. Appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me. I have to say right off the bat, like this is one of Bobby Mackey's is one of those places that people ask me about constantly. And I have investigated there. It was many years ago. I investigated there with ghost hunters and it was a very interesting investigation. I did not ride the mechanical bowl, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it was it was a lot of fun. Um, so why do you think that kind of stigma exists with that building? Why do you think people are just so eager to, to investigate it and to know more about it?
1: Well, I I think there are as many people interested to investigate it as there are people who are absolutely terrified to go there. Um, And I think both of those groups of people are intrigued by the whole uh, story that Carl started with the demonic activity there and his exorcism. Uh, I think that has either terrified people or made them more interested to come. Now, can you kind of go into that? What is that story exactly? Well, Carl was the caretaker there. He was a good friend of Bobby and Bobby's wife, Janet. um, And he worked for him for many, many years. And he eventually moved into an apartment upstairs. And he lived up there for 13 years. And during the time that he lived there, he claimed that he was constantly... I guess, harassed by entities in the building. And it got so bad for him that he felt like they were trying to take over his body and his soul and he needed to have a priest give him an exorcism. So that, and then that story, you know, once that happened, because he would sit at the bar every night and tell anybody that would listen, he would tell them all the stuff that happened to him. Yeah, And it's just, you know, this was pre-internet days. So this was just totally word of mouth back in the 80s and 90s. That he's telling all these stories. And then the exorcism happened in the early 90s. And I think at that point, everything just took off from there. Yeah.
0: You know, I, as someone who has investigated there, you know, I unfortunately did not have a ton happen. But see, this was, I was investigating there uh, with ghost hunters, which, Um, back then, that TV show was, um, there were like seven, sometimes eight of us. And we would go in like two at a time. And so sometimes there'd be nights where like, I would only get to investigate a place for like an hour or so. And Bobby Mackey's was one of those places where I did not get to be in there as much as I wanted to. But I do remember distinctly, we caught at one point the sound of, it sounded almost like a, it was like a dog or like some sort of growling dog in the bar area. And there's clearly no dogs in the bar, <laughs> but wow. that was the one, uh, the one thing that happened to me. I didn't, there was also was quite a ruckus in the basement, uh, at one point, And I went down there and discovered a family of raccoons. So, Oh my God. <laughs> they're, they're probably still there. I bet they are. They probably remember me if I showed up. (laughs) So, but it is like you were saying, people don't ask me, have you investigated Bobby Mackey's? They ask me, would you investigate Mm -hmm. Bobby Mackey's, you know, and there's a big difference there. Uh, and so that kind of puts it into perspective, you know, people, it does have that kind of really spooky beginning for people. Um, But what kind of activity do people experience there on the regular?
1: The two most common things that happen are shadow figures and disembodied voices. I'd say those are the most common. I see shadow figures, I mean, I've been there for 10 years. So, like you're talking about with the show, you guys are only there for a short period of time. So, sometimes you might not get anything. Right. But over the course of 10 years, where I've been there at least a couple times a week, every week, I've seen stuff and I couldn't tell you a part of that building where I haven't seen a shadow figure. I mean, there I see them all the time. In fact, last night I was there uh, for a tour and I had the lights on and I was standing. I don't know if you remember the layout, but I was standing um, kind of where in the room where Carl's exorcism was right, right in front of that. So I could see through the bar and like into where the gift shop is and the lights were on. And all of a sudden this dark figure almost ran right past that doorway where the gift shop is. I mean, it scared me to death. I thought there was a person in the building. I thought I hadn't locked the door because this thing moves so fast. And I kind of jumped back. I'm like, oh, my God. And the people on the tour, you know, sometimes I wonder if they believe me or if they think I'm just faking. But I absolutely was not. um, A figure ran past there. Uh, And that was unusual because usually the shadow figures just kind of lurk and move Mm -hmm. around real slowly. This one was on a mission and he was running. Yeah. No. So, who do you think that is? Who do you think's responsible for that? I have no idea, honestly. I, I've always thought that Mackey's is almost like a, like a bus station in a way. Like there are a lot of transients. I think that go through there. Um, the only two that I know of that have actually said their names either on people's recordings or through spirit boxes are two. Uh, Two guys, one of them killed the other one in the men's bathroom back in 1943. Mm. Uh, The guy that died, his name was Paul Goodhue. And he has come through many times on people's um, uh, recordings saying his name and everything. Because, you know, you don't usually get names all that often. Um, at least I don't and not that clearly anyway. But aside from those two, I really I think most of the spirits there are just either just passing through or they're just residuals that are always there. I think that's interesting. And, you know, we
0: I talk about that a lot, especially with some of these places that seem to be more actively haunted, how it's not always just easy to pinpoint it down to one ghost or one person. That it does seem to be this sometimes they're kind of almost this way station or maybe it's a place they had fond memories or, you know, or maybe they just like you said, they, they they're they passing through or they notice that people are looking for people like them there. And they're like, oh, I could probably talk to someone here, you know. Yeah. Now, so when you saw that shadow, I think that's so interesting um, that it was moving so quickly. I've seen that happen a few times myself. I always find when I'm running a tour of some sort, if I'm like hosting an investigation or I'm teaching a class, you know, you're looking towards the group. And then so many times things happen behind them and you're watching it or you see it and they don't. <laughs> and exactly. I, Do you think that the the spirits there know that, like they're messing with you in some way?
1: <laughs> I never thought of it that way, but like they could be trying to make me look stupid. Like, <laughs> you know, that I'm jumping at something that startled me and the the group is like, what in the world just happened?
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I just, I feel like that it's just one of those things, like it it happens to me all the time. And I also wonder too, sometimes as someone who's in those places a lot or as someone who's hosting a tour, you might just be so familiar with the activity that you can spot it quicker. And, you know, you know, I don't know, it's just something to think about it. Uh, I always wonder, like, as we subject ourselves to these things more and more, <laughs> you know, what yeah. is it that, that we're seeing and a lot of people aren't seeing just yet? But so Bobby Mackey's is open, obviously. Um, there's bands and bars and music. And so, have you ever seen paranormal activity, like, when it's really busy and there, like, has something strange happening where you're like, that's not a live person or have heard stories along those lines?
1: Well, personally, I'm not usually there when the bars open because we only do our tours when the bars closed. Right. Uh, so I haven't personally seen anything happen when the bars open, but I have heard stories. They mostly, mostly involve the bathroom, uh, and things happening to people when they're in the bathroom. But you also have to remember these people are likely drinking a little bit (laughs) and, you know, and, but, you know, I always think that could go either way. Like you're either drinking and then you're just seeing things that aren't there. But on the other hand, maybe you're drinking and you are kind of a little more open, You know, and the spirits might take advantage of that. So, uh, But I I think a lot of times the day after, like on a Sunday when the bar's been open on Friday and Saturday, a lot of times Sundays have a lot of energy in that building, I think, from all the people. And especially if, like, maybe there's fights or something, you know, people get in fights sometimes. All that energy, I think, builds up over the weekend. And Sundays are sometimes pretty active, you know. That was
0: going to be my next question, was that after bands play – uh, and they have a particularly rowdy night if that impacts the activity at all. Do you guys ever go in like directly after the bar closing? Or do you go on like off nights?
1: No, I because they're there till 3am. Mm. And that's a little past my bedtime. So we're usually there on almost every Sunday we have tours. And so I'm assuming
0: that the activity does not care whether it's day or night.
1: Oh, absolutely not. I've had some of the Amazing experiences that I've ever had there I've been in the middle of the afternoon. So I don't think they know or care what time it is
0: What would you say has been your most kind of powerful experience that you've had there?
1: I've had again It involves shadow figures and this just happened over the summer Um, I was in the basement in the well room, you know where the well is that old house and There's a table out in the hallway And it was afternoon, well, it was early evening, but there was light coming in. So you could still see it wasn't pitch black. And I could see under the table that's in the hallway and there was this black shape. And at first, you know, you're talking about raccoons. I thought it could have been an animal, but it was pretty big. It was like dog sized, but it was, it looked like somebody was sitting there hugging their knees and kind of rocking back and forth. And I stared at it for several minutes because my mind was trying to figure out what it was, And I didn't want to startle my group that there was some wild animal in the building. Mm. Uh, So I was just staring at it. And all of a sudden, this sounds crazy, but I swear it stopped rocking and looked at me. And like, you know, you always have that feeling in your head, like, am I really seeing this? Or am I imagining that it's looking at me? But I swear it stopped rocking and turned and looked at me and then just took off out from under the table. That was another fast mover. um, And it just took off.
0: That's pretty wild. I wonder if it, if
1: he, she, it, I don't know,
0: <laughs> noticed yeah, that I know. you were noticing it and went, oh wait, she can see me, you know? Yeah, <laughs> that's
1: what it felt like to me because I was staring at it so intently trying to make my eyes focus and figure out if that was, you know, an animal or, you know, I didn't know what it was. But yeah, that was that was one of my favorites and most recent ones. Now, when people come out on the tours or they
0: come in to investigate and whatnot, like, have you had people that just have had enough and like have to leave?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've had people uh, get touched, um, scratched, um, whispers in their ear, and then they just get freaked out. They're like, no, I'm done. I'm I'm going to sit in the car while the rest of the people finish (laughs) the tour.
0: And do you, how do you feel about the well? Do you think there is something to the well, that there's some sort of energy about it? I mean, people talk about the well all the time.
1: They do. And I mean, that room is one of my favorite rooms to investigate. I do feel like there's a lot of energy there, but I, I don't know if I'm qualified to say that I think that that's like a portal um, because I feel like the whole building is a portal because, you know, stuff happens everywhere. But I mean it's just a hole in the ground. It's just a a tunnel that goes out to the Licking River behind the building. I don't see any reason, you know, why it would be that specific area that's some sort of portal. But I mean, again, it could be, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, the
0: the area does have a really interesting history, of course. And like you stated, like there was definitely someone who died in in the bathroom at one point, you know, it's been, and I find that, the energy in venues, particularly like theaters and musical venues, like there is an energy there that might not necessarily even be having to do with death. Or It's just that you people are feeling, they're really feeling something. You know, you have mm-hmm. performers that are really giving it their all, and then you have people just having sometimes some of the best nights of their lives, sometimes the worst nights of their lives. Right. And that energy, I feel like, over so many years of existence – can affect the paranormal activity there, or maybe even create it. Do you feel like that might have something to do with why Bobby Mackey's is so active?
1: Yeah, and I've I've said something along those lines on tours many times just about the energy that's been in the building for so many years, because you have to, before Bobby was even there, you know, it was a mob-owned nightclub called the Latin Quarter, And before that, it was the Primrose, and it was during the Primrose days that the guy got killed in the bathroom. But the whole mob activity that might have gone on there, um, I mean, who knows what they did, especially down in the basement. There's bullet holes in a door down in the basement. um, And the mob, you just don't know what they're going to do if they, you know, they might have killed someone in the basement, and we don't even know about it, uh, because they didn't like keep records of that kind of stuff. Right. There's no
0: no mob record book anywhere, (laughs) (laughs) unfortunately. Um, But, you know, and that's actually so I think that sometimes with those kind of instances, because I've investigated many places where like tragedies and tragic crimes have happened that really no one ever had to answer for. And I kind of feel like sometimes those spirits are especially just really trying to get through to you because, you know, they want people to know what happened to them because you know many times they just kind of disappeared and so that might have something to do with it especially when you have people going in there on the right on the writing out and 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 asking questions so do you do you ever feel that kind of desperate energy like there are spirits that are really trying to get through to people in that building
1: well I always think about because I mentioned people getting scared when they get scratched and you know there's so much um I don't know, drama over people being scratched, but I don't necessarily think that's something evil. Um, a lot of times I think they're just desperately trying to get someone's attention and maybe that's, you know, a little too aggressive, but that's how they're trying to get someone's attention to tell them something. Um, but yeah, I think, especially in the basement, because like I said, we don't know what went on down there back in the forties and fifties. Um, Sometimes we get some interesting responses um, on EVPs and through the spirit boxes about people wanting, you know, like they'll we'll ask them if they if they were murdered and or if they know how they died. And a lot of times we get responses to where it sounds like they're wanting some help with figuring out or at least someone being held responsible for what happened to them.
0: Yeah. And so I I feel the same way about scratches. I try to um, kind of illustrate that to people sometimes. You know, if you think about if you're in a situation where you're completely desperate, you, you are not even sure people can hear you. I mean, I'm just I'm I'm speculating what a spirit experience is. But, you know, if they're in a situation where they are desperately trying to get through and they're trying to, uh, you know, communicate in some way, And that they see people around them, they hear people, they're not here, you know, they're not responding to you. And you find that you can do this thing where they can feel you. Mm -hmm. And like that, that might be the one thing like, oh, they can feel, they can feel me if I do this. And like you scratch them, (laughs) you know, trying to get their attention. People ask me about that, like you were saying a lot, because they just assume it's like some sort of like a demonic entity or something. I'm like, no, like put yourself there for a minute. Unless they're aggressively trying to harm you, it could be someone just really trying to get your attention. And so I, you know, I do try to tell people we're invest- when we're investigating that there are some locations that are kind of mo- more notorious for that than others. And so I'm glad that you give them that outlook when they go in there.
1: Yeah. And I've also had, and in, in most of the scratching happens in the same place. It usually happens in the well room or in the jail cell that's in the well room. And so, you know, they used to lock people in that jail cell. Um, It's not really a jail cell. It's just like a little stone room. I don't know if you remember seeing it in the well room. Um, It's just a little stone room. I think I was running from
0: raccoons at that point.
1: Oh, okay. They used to to lock people in there until they figured out, you know, how they were going to deal with them, like whether they're going to beat them up or kill them or throw them in the river, you know, so they would lock them up in there. And that's where a lot of people experience scratching is when they're sitting in that, what we call jail cell. Um, so it could be that people, you know, maybe the spirit of someone that is trapped in there and they're scared and they're just trying to reach out for someone to help them.
0: Yeah. Do you feel fine when you're in that place by yourself? Do you feel safe <sighs> or that, like, do you feel good?
1: Well, my answer to that question um, Will probably answer your question. I don't often go in there by myself. Um, So I used to, but sometimes, and sometimes it's fine. I'll be honest. Sometimes it's fine and it's just like any old building. But there are other times where you walk in there and you automatically feel this heaviness, like, Something doesn't want me in here, and I've had that happen. So now I just wait for my tour group outside because I don't, I don't like feeling like that. I don't like feeling like they don't want me there, right. or that you know they're angry, maybe that we're coming to bother them again. Because mm. you know you're just sitting there minding your business, and then all these people come in saying is there anybody here? Can you hear me? You know? Yeah.
0: (laughs) That's actually, that, that makes a lot of sense. And now do you, do you try to kind of guide people when you bring them in? Like, Hey, try to think outside the box. Don't ask the same questions over and over again. Oh
1: yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, ask him something for like, you know, what's your favorite food? What's your favorite drink or, you know, just anything, but other than, you know, can you knock three times, you know, right. you gotta do of thing.
0: Yeah, I know. I try to tell people to get really inventive with the conversation or draw on like current events from the time, that kind of thing. But, um, but it's nice to hear that, you know, you kind of go in, in a respectful fashion, but, but yeah, I can imagine like for them with groups coming in. You know sometimes they might get a little a little aggravated, so yeah, but it's nice to be cognizant of that, you know, be respectful and so you the basement in particular, it sounds like that is a spot that's kind of like a hot spot for you. um Is there anywhere else that you feel like might be underrated as far as activity goes in the building?
1: um well, actually, the main floor um Because, you know, last night when I had that shadow figure run, the whole time I was up, which about an hour, I was up on that main level. I was very uneasy because something about that just really, you know, startled me. And I just felt really uneasy. And then sometimes you go in the basement where everybody thinks, you know, the demons are hanging out (laughs) and it's just, it's completely quiet and calm down there. But upstairs, you know, it's really, you know, heavy and intense so, you know, a lot of people just want to go to the basement and, you know, because that's what they hear about all the time is the well and, you know, all of that going on. But a lot of times upstairs on the main level is is way more active.
0: Well, yeah. And I'm sure they move around, too. You oh, yeah. Know? yeah. So, well, that's I mean, that's that's good to know. I mean, I think also you might. I tell people this too, like when you're around a live person in front of you, you can feel that vibe that they're giving off. So it makes me think that maybe the energy around some of these spirits, like you can feel them. You're like, oh, someone here is not very happy. And then next thing you know, you see a shadow running across the room, you know? So you you probably are pretty in tune there, maybe more so than others, just because you're there so often. So if people want to visit, if people want to go on a tour, what do they have to do?
1: Well, there's two options. Most people find it easier to just go to Bobby Mackey's website because it's com, And there's a link on there that says paranormal. And if they click on that, it'll take them right to our page to book um, a tour. Or they can go to gatekeeperparanormal.com and do the same thing, book a tour online.
0: Okay, that's great. Well, um, I really do thank you for taking the time. You've been lovely. And uh, at some point, I'm going to have to make it back out there. and you know, say hello to my friends in the basement and also hopefully meet you in person. So, (laughs) Yeah, that would be awesome. Many of the sightings and reports from Bobby Mackey's Music World have a violent tinge to them. From ghostly assaults to hostile energies to thrown bottles and toppling furniture, it's apparent that the spirits there are angry and with good reason. The bar has been a silent witness to murder many times over. Sadly, justice is elusive. We may never know who killed Pearl Bryan, or if the men who were hanged for the crime were innocent. And that's before we get into the other tragedies and miscarriages of justice that followed. At the very least, the original trio's anger seems to live on, and it may persist forever. I'm Amy Bruni, and this was Haunted Road. Haunted Road is hosted and written by me, Amy Bruni, with additional research by Cassandra de Alba. This show is edited and produced by Rima el with supervising producer Josh Thane and executive producers Aaron Menke, Alex Williams, and Matt Frederick. Haunted Road is a production of iHeartRadio and Grim & Mild from Aaron Menke. Learn more about this show over at grimandmild.com. And for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash.
1: Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say...